It's good to be back with you after taking uh, last week off. A big thanks to Sally for, for stepping in as I wanted to just take a break before we got into the summer schedule. And uh, it's great to be back. I was trying to think of what I was going to preach for Celebration Sunday. Uh, through the summer, I'm going to be preaching on the Gospel of John. Uh, but for this sermon, I decided to bring back a sermon I have previously done at uh, my last church on the book of Esther. I think this is one of the best stories in the Bible. I mean, it's a great story. And so today I'm going to tell you the story of Esther. And, the, uh, and this, this story gets told in uh, the Jewish faith during the festival of Purim in the spring. And so uh, it's, a, it's this festival of uh, harvest. And there's a public reading of the book of Esther. Okay, there's food, drink, donations to charity. There's a celebratory meal, sometimes even costumes and parties. One of the things that they, they, they do is they'll get together in the synagogue and they'll do a public reading of the book of Esther. And one of the fun parts of the book of Esther is, when they, when they read it, there's this bad guy named Haman. Okay, and Haman is this evil, evil character. You're going to see how evil as we say it. And part of what he's going to do is he's going to try to wipe out all of the Jews. He's going to try to have all the Jews killed. And so when they get together to read about Haman in this story, part of the goal is to blot out the name of Haman from the earth so that the name of Haman is never, ever heard again. Does that make sense to everybody? So, so people will yell and they will boo and they will give children noisemakers. And so today we're going to do that. Okay, so part of what we're going to do through the sermon is if I go to say that name, the name of Haman, you guys have to make enough noise that no one can hear me say Haman. Is that pretty clear to everybody? Now, I've given out some noisemakers, okay, for just this purpose. And if you didn't get a noisemaker, then you just have to boo. Some of you are really excited because you've been wanting to boo during my sermons for years and you've never been able to. Now is your chance. Okay, so we're going to practice. Everybody awake? You got to get, okay, got to get in. So if I start to say, I'll give you a little intro. So if I start to say the evil Haman. Okay, all right, all right, wait. Now, you were a little slow and a little long. Okay, so you just have to blot out the word. So if I just say the evil Haman. That's it. Okay. See? This is going to be awesome, but there's a section up there. Okay, we'll try it one more time. The evil Haman. That's it. Real fast, everybody. Real fast. Try to block out the name. Uh, and we Actually, just so that you know, we don't get to the name for the first little bit of the sermon. But I will give you the intro when we get there. Okay, so let's just understand the setting of the book of Esther. A number of the key people in Israel have been taken into exile. So they're not in their homeland. They were taken out first by the Assyrians, and then the Assyrians were taken over by the Babylonians. And at this time, now we have the group called the Persians. And the idea was to take the elite people and move them, the important people, and move them throughout the empire so that they lost their identity. And these people would go and they'd basically be abused and, and they'd have to find their way. There'd be no protection. They, they were almost sort of servants very low class, unprotected people in this empire. So it's a very dangerous place to be. Many of them have had family members killed when they were taken off into exile. In fact, we start the story with a man named Mordecai, who's taking cousin care of a, of a relative named 
Esther. Now, Esther is, so Esther's not his daughter. Everybody following that? So where are her parents? They've probably been killed. They've probably been killed, either in exile or on the way to exile. And so now Mordecai, maybe an uncle, maybe a cousin, has sort of stepped in as the father figure. And this has probably happened a lot. Okay? So everybody understands how dire the situation is. Okay? The story picks up when the king of Persia has a festival to celebrate his wealth. It's a multi-day festival. And at the end, he invites his queen, Queen Vashti, to come in. And show off her beauty for the guests, but she won't come. She denies the king, which is bad, right? If the king tells you to come in and you don't come in, you are disrespecting not just the king, but now his guests. And now in front of all the most important people in the, in the kingdom. And so, so they can't have this. They, cannot have, uh, they can't have the queen not listening to the king. And so she is ousted as the queen, the king calls for virgins of the kingdom to go through the process of being cleaned, beautified, to be his future wife. Now, just to tell you, this comes from a very different world, right? Like, okay, sometimes the Bible describes and doesn't prescribe. So it's just because just the Bible says something happened doesn't mean you're supposed to go do it. Okay, so, but that, that's how this was done in the day. So what these young virgins would be, they'd be brought together, they'd be taken care of by a group of eunuchs, so that they could not defile the women. They would put oils and things on the women's body. They would learn how to act as a queen and be around the king. And then eventually, each of the women would have a night with the king, from which he would pick who was going to be the next queen. So, so he, they would sort of create this harem, take care of them, and then one of them would become the king, the queen. So Esther is a Jewish girl, but she's brought into this harem. And Mordecai tells her, do not tell anybody that you're from Israel. Like, don't even tell anybody that you are. And Mordecai would kind of keep up with her. He would stand by the gate where a lot of the eunuchs and a lot of other people would come walking through the gate. And he could sort of hear the rumors and pass messages to her and get messages back. So Esther finds favor. She is well-liked among the harem. She's well-liked among the eunuchs. She then has her night with the king and is indeed decided that she would be the queen now Mordecai then one day is, is listening by the gate and he hears a couple of the eunuchs talking about how they don't like the king and they start making plans of how they're going to kill the king. So Mordecai gets word to Esther and through some of the, the other people that she knows and they tell the king, hey, these guys are out to get you. The king sorts it out, kills those men and is spared. And so he has this book um, and you find this in the ancient world that you would write down the great things that happened while you were king. And so, it, so he has somebody put in the book, hey, remember this Mordecai guy who saved my life. That book's going to become important later. And so Mordecai actually helps spare the king. Now after that, the king promotes a bad guy to run the kingdom underneath him. He is the evil Haman. Right, it's got to be faster, everybody. You've got to be like a quick... Okay? So he... he, he, he so when this evil Haman would walk around, people would pay tribute to him and honor him. He started to gather a lot of power around him. Except he noticed this one guy when he would walk into the town by the gate that would never bow to him. Who do you think that was? Mordecai. Mordecai's not going to bow to a man. He's a follower of God. So the evil Haman makes a plan. 
that he's decided these people of, of Mordecai, these people I don't like, we're going to kick them all out of here. In fact, we're not just going to do that. We're going to kill them. Is he going to, he's planning a holocaust. That's what he's planning. We're going to get rid of all of these. And so he goes to the king and, and says, hey, there are these people in your midst that aren't bowing. And they don't care about you. And they follow their own rules and they worship their own gods. And he offers a huge sum of money to the king to have these people annihilated. So the king agrees. Can't have that kind of rebellion. He's trusting his leader. So a decree goes out that across the empire, the Jewish people are going to be annihilated on a certain date. Everybody with me? So when we call him the evil Haman, he's evil. He is evil. He is out to kill all of the Jews, all of the people. When Mordecai hears about this, because he's hearing all the news at the gate, he sits in sackcloth and ashes, sign of absolute despair. He goes into mourning, knowing his people are all going to be killed. So let me pick up the story in Esther 4, starting in verse 4. When Esther's young women and her eunuchs came and told her, told her that, that Mordecai is in mourning, in sackcloth and ashes. And the queen was deeply distressed. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called for Hathach, one of the king's units, who had been appointed to attend to her and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn why this was and to learn what this was and why this was. So Hathach goes, went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. And Mordecai told him what had happened to him and the exact sum of money that the evil Haman had promised to pay the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction that he might show it to Esther and explain to her and command her to go to the king and beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. And Hathach went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Hathach and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death, except the one whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come into the king these 30 days. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, did not think, this, this, is, this is such a great response by Mordecai, so listen close. Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent in this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf, and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did as Esther had ordered him. So, everybody following? Esther sees the problem, right? But if she goes to the king, remember, why is she queen? Because the last queen wouldn't come when the king called. 
And so the king has now made all these rules about who can come and who can't. If he calls you, you have to come. But if he doesn't call you, you can't come. And so she knows she's risking all of her queenship. She's risking her very life to go before the king. And yet Mordecai gives her just this great response, right? He says, like, look, first of all, don't think this is going to escape you. Don't think that they're not going to find out who you are. And if all of your people get destroyed, eventually it's coming for you. In fact, a lot of the people that you know and love, like me, I think Mordecai's thinking, right? You've already, Esther, you've already lost your family. You're going to lose more of your family? And I think he's trying to protect Esther. Like, do you want that on your conscience, even if you do survive? Second, I mean, Mordecai's convinced that God's going to spare the people. Did you catch that? He said, oh, the salvation will come from somewhere else. But how will you feel if your family doesn't get spared? And Mordecai then wonders, what if you're in this position for such a time as this? I wonder if Esther wondered how she got there. Did she start to buy in the fact that maybe she's just hot? Or maybe she's just really good with people? Or maybe, you know, but but maybe it's not her gifts. Maybe all the time. And actually, interesting, in the book of Esther... God doesn't say anything and God doesn't do anything. In fact, Martin Luther and, and other scholars throughout history have not wanted Esther to be in the Bible. Because it's the one book in the Bible. Imagine there's a book in the Bible where God doesn't speak or do at all. And yet, Mordecai's wondering if behind the scenes, maybe God is actually working. So Esther, Esther agrees. And I hope you see the bravery of what after, Esther said. If I perish, I perish. How many of you could do that? If I perish, I perish. She just resigns herself to the fact. This is probably what's going to happen, but I'm going to do what you ask. And then what does she ask for? For prayers. She sees the strength. If I'm going to do this, the only way I'm going to do this is with fasting and prayer and people behind me. What an amazing moment of bravery. Now, if you continue to read this story, and this story is so beautiful, I hope you read the book of Esther this week. Like, I am not doing it justice as I'm flying through this at a bunch of... At a, at a fast speed, Esther does decide to go before the king. And, and she does find favor with him. She is allowed to speak. And what she does is she asks for a banquet with him and her and the evil Haman. Good. So in the meantime, the evil Haman, you were slow there, cannot stand that Mordecai will not bow to him. And so he, he's, he's further plotting. Not only is he going to kill all the Jewish people, but he has a gallows made. He ties a knot because he's going to hang this, this man. Remember, when we call him evil, he is evil. And he, what he thinks is, hey, I'm being invited to a banquet by the king and queen. You know what's going to happen there? I'm going to be honored. and I'm going to get to ask for whatever I want at the banquet, just like Esther did. And you know what's going to happen? I'm going to ask that I get to be the one that hangs my enemy Mordecai. So here's how it plays out. In the morning, the evil Haman comes before the king and the king asks him what should the king says to him, like, what should be done with the man in whom I delight? And this this evil person says, well, you you should you should give them all kinds of honor. But here's what the evil Haman doesn't know is that the night before the king couldn't sleep. He, he was just, the, the king was just in, just tossing, turning. You ever had those nights? Right? You don't even know what's going on. You're worried about something. You talk, so what he does is he has somebody come in and read from the book. 
of all the great things that have happened. And the person gets the story of this man, Mordecai, who showed him the plot. And he says to the guy who's reading to him, hey, what did we ever do to honor Mordecai who saved my life? And, and the guy was like, well, nothing. We never did anything. And the king said, well, tomorrow we are going to. So the evil Haman comes in, talks to the king and says, hey, uh, you know, the king says, what should I do to the person for whom I have delight and who has honored me? And, and the evil Haman says, well, you should, you should put on one of your robes and put them on a horse and have them walk through the streets and be honored. I think because he thinks maybe I can make Mordecai bow to me if I'm the one. And he assumes he's the one on the horse, right? And if he doesn't, then I have the excuse to actually have him killed. But then the king says to him, hey, you know that Mordecai guy that's standing all the time down by the gate? Go get him and put the, my robe on him and put him on a... Yeah. So he ends up having the evil Haman actually honor Mordecai, his enemy. Everybody see what happens? Later in the feast, Esther is given the chance to ask for what she wants from the king. And Esther tells the king that her people have been sold and they're going to be killed. And he says, who has done this? Who has sold out your people to death? And she says, well, that guy you hired, the evil Haman. He has them. He's going to have them killed. And so a new decree goes out. First of all, the king has the evil Haman hung on the gallows he made for Mordecai. And then he puts out a decree saying, no, 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 these Jewish people, those are, those are the queen's people. They are to be protected. And in fact, anyone in any towns that are out to kill those people, they are to be killed. And in this moment, all of a sudden, the Jewish people have hope and they have life because of how these things were orchestrated. The people are saved. And then, then that, that guy, the evil Haman, who's now, be, now been hung, who do you think gets his job? Mordecai. Mordecai gets the job. And can you imagine the Jewish people today who celebrate this and read this story? Like th this, is, this is not the only time that their people have been threatened with annihilation. Right? This is not the first Holocaust. This is not the last Holocaust that they would face. What an amazing story of God's providential salvation for his people. And interestingly enough, even though we never see God work, even though God never speaks, you can tell behind the scenes. It's, it's a very poetic way to say it, right? That, that God actually is working. He's just working in ways that you can't see. Now, I could quickly fly to the end of a very nice sermon to talk about God's providence and Esther's bravery. But, but I want to pause just for a moment because... I've been thinking about this. Again, I've preached Esther before. But as I thought about this whole situation on the week of yet another school shooting and all the stuff going on around our country and our world, I was thinking about this scenario in this world of Esther differently. So, so see if this sounds familiar as I describe Esther's times. Here's the people that seem feel like they're not in a world that's their own. This is not the world I grew up in. In violent times. 
times of a broken family like Esther's, where, where families are coming apart at the seam, in a time of truly racial hate, where all the Jews are going to be wiped out. A time when authorities seem to be seeking their own power for their own gain and their own benefit rather than for the people. A time when people of faith are losing their history and their identity. See, are you already confused about whether I'm talking about Esther or I'm talking about now? A time when people try to pretend like the evil is far away. Like we don't have to worry about that here, right? Without acknowledging the fact that that evil's in me. The possibility, if I'd been raised differently, that's where I might be. A time where we question God. What is he doing? Why isn't he saying anything? And I was struck this week... As I prep this sermon, how much of our own world is really reflected in this dangerous world that Esther was in? Another shooting. As people clamor to either condemn guns or defend guns. As politicians on both sides seem to to seek this opportunity to gain power to forward their platform and their ideas. Instead of actually caring about the people that are involved. As a young man is called a monster... Without us seeing that the same potential for evil lies with each, in each one of us. As there are racial undertones to yet another violent situation in our country. And we all should be asking, where's God? Why isn't God speaking? Why isn't God at work? But maybe he is. Maybe he actually is. Maybe he's doing exactly what he did with Esther. Maybe what he's actually doing is positioning his people, positioning his church to be able to speak and to move and to bravely express love and compassion. But notice that Esther doesn't really, she's, she's in a position to be able to speak, but she's not in a position of power to make anything happen. Like a, lot, a lot of Christians right now would love for us to have power. Or give me the power to make decisions. Make, give me the power. Like, give somebody. But that's not the way of the, of the Christian faith. Jesus is not a person of power. He's a lowly carpenter. He dies on the cross. Okay? He, he, doesn't, he doesn't rule the empire. He doesn't rule the public persona. He's crucified by it. Jesus was not a senator, a TV celebrity, or a CEO of a multi-million dollar company. He was just a traveling person that went around and helped and talked and told stories. Esther understands this, though, because where does she go to find her power? Prayer, fasting, the people. So now think about the bravery of Esther in this cruel world that she could step up, that she could say something was wrong. She could use the opportunities, the moments. And I think that's what God often does with us is instead of just, like, don't you sometimes wish God would just do something? Don't you sometimes just wish God would say, like, God, just tell me exactly what to do. But instead, God often leads with timing and position. In this world, there are still people like the evil Haman. Good. And we cannot sit by The answer is not violence. The answer is not power. The answer is for Christians to seize every opportunity they have to love their neighbor and to express the love of Jesus Christ to others. So may Esther be an example for us of how to be faithful where God has put us.